Happy Easter. I want to say happy Easter to happy Easter, happy Easter to uh, all our campuses in San Isidro, San Marcos, City Heights, East County, all the brothers and sisters in Juvenile Hall and Donovan State Prison and in the military around the world. Let's give all these people out there a big hand. God bless y'all. Uh, every Sunday, I prepare about uh, 70% of what I'm going to say, and there's about 30%, 40% of what I say that comes to me on Sunday when I'm saying it. And one of the things that came to me today and this weekend, because we had a service Friday, we had two yesterday, um, is how diverse our church is. It's always been that way since day one. I'm writing a book on racism, which is making me more sensitive to um, the division in our culture and the unity in this room. And I, I am starting to pay more attention to what's in this room and in our church. And it breaks my heart as I'm going through this book, which is the most difficult, tricky thing to do. Um, uh, it breaks my heart the relationships that we miss out on because we avoid people. Because I, all of us know people of all different races, um, but maybe not really know. I happen to have a lot of relationships very close of all kinds, and people are wonderful. People are amazing. And it breaks my heart to hear division and fear and apprehension and anger between people. But then we come here, and God has brought all kinds every week for 17 years. And even before that, when I was in my house in Penasquitas, I had nine nationalities of high school kids in my house. Uh, so it's always been that way. I don't know why, but it is. And so I want to challenge you a couple things. In a minute, um, I want to challenge you um, to meet somebody here that doesn't look like you. You won't have to look far. <laughs> but before I get to that, I, 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 Jesus says they're missing out on me. That church and Christianity has become a thing we do versus a person we have a relationship with. And when it becomes a thing we do, just to kind of get off our, our conscience, it is not Christianity. And God is saying, there's so many people who take me for granted. They don't even know me. I'm really wonderful. And I want to tell you, Jesus is amazing. Amazing. Don't let it become something you do. Let it become a person that you are immersed in, that you really spend all your heart and mind Getting to know, and he knows you, you getting to know him, and him shaping and molding you. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. So here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to someone that doesn't look like you, and I may say doesn't look like you, different ethnicity than you, and, and here's what I want you to say. I want you to ask them their name, and then I want you to use their name in this sentence, blank, whatever their name is, Jesus loves you, and he died and rose from the dead for you. 30 seconds, let's do that, Okay. Amen. 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 Now, church, here's the million-dollar challenge. 
as I've always said, this is the huddle and the play is what we do outside that sometime this week you meet somebody that doesn't look like you. And you go over and say, what's your name? And you use their name in that same sentence. And that's it. Let's practice. Can I get amen? Amen. amen. Lord, we thank you so much that you did what you said. You rose from the dead. I pray that we would take advantage of that opportunity to have a relationship with you this Easter in Jesus' name. In the nombre de Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, let's see Bibles on the count of three. If you are new, we lift our Bibles up and say word. Happy Easter. So one, two, three, say word. One more time. Some of y'all weren't ready. Take, lift your Bibles up and say word. One, two, three, say word. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20. And welcome to all you visitors. Happy Easter. Welcome from wherever you are from. Matthew 20. I have a question for you to start our message off. How do you know that following Jesus is worth it? There are people in your life, I'm sure all of us have people in our life who think you're wasting your time. I've heard the rock is a cult. I'm a cult leader. If you have that doubt, let me uh, very quickly dispel that doubt. Usually in cults, the leader has, it claims to have information no one else has, and you have to come to him to get it or her to get it. Listen, you got the information right in your hand, go read it for yourself. Okay, so it's not a cult, we're not forcing you to come, whatever. Um, but, but to follow Jesus, you have to, if you follow him right, you have to sacrifice stuff. Sacrifice time, not only on Sunday, during the week. Sacrifice energy, you have to forgive people you don't want to forgive. Pray for people you don't want to pray for. Got to refrain from doing stuff that may be fun in the moment. Okay, give up money, time. Thank you for all y'all who give up your money and time. But there are people in your life going, why do you do all that stuff? I'm having more fun than you. Your life is no different than mine. And you have to be 100% convinced in your heart and in your mind that this is worth it. And I don't, when I say worth it, I mean doing it the way the Bible says. There's some people who pick and choose certain things to do. They have their own form of this. I'm not talking about that because that's not, that's not following him the way we're supposed to. I'm talking about being committed. Because that's what he wants. I was talking to a, 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 this teenager in East County years ago, a Mexican kid who was in the gang, and I was witnessing to him. And I said, uh, I drew a stick figure of him and his girlfriend. And I said, if your girlfriend, I think her name was Lucy, if, your, if Lucy said to you she wants to be with you five days a week and, and this other guy two days a week, is that cool? He's like, no, no, no. I said, you got two and a half times more than the other guy. That's a good deal. He's no, 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 no. I said, okay, how about if he, she's with the guy one day a week and you got it six days? You got 600 times, 100%, six times more than the other guy. He's like, no, no, I want it seven days. Well, how much, which by the way is reasonable, can I get amen? Then it's 100% reasonable that Jesus would require everything from you. So how do you know it's worth it? I'm going to tell you how you know it's worth it. He rose from the dead. Because, because he rose from the dead, everything he promised you and everything he said is true. Let me, let me read something to you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or you are wasting your time and you are still in your sin. If Jesus is dead, we should not do this anymore. You should never come back to church. You should never read the Bible. If he's not dead, because you're still in your sin, and by the way, there is no way you could be forgiven. Because for you to be forgiven, someone had to die for your sin and rise from the dead. So if, if, he, if he's still dead, this is a waste of time. But the fact of the matter is, he is alive. Can I get an amen? And because he is alive, then all bets are off. Everything he said is true. So what we're going to look at today is four reasons, and there are many more than four. How we can know he's alive because you need to be 100% convinced that not only is he alive, but he is worthy of your 100% commitment. Not your version, his version of relationship. 100%. Number one, if you notes, number one, we know he's alive because he said he would rise from the dead. Simple. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest, to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver to him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, to crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed, by the way, by that brother. I'm going to be denied three times by that brother, and these are my disciples. I'm going to be delivered to those guys who are supposed to be representing me. They're going to convict me, condemn me, mock me, beat me, crucify me, hit me with rods, spit on me, pull my beard out, put thorns in my head, nail me to wood, stick me in the side with a spear, and I'm going to die. And they're like, man, that's messed up. And I'm going to rise from the dead. If he was able to keep that promise, which he did, he can keep every single promise he has made to you. I was talking to someone one day, one, one day and they said, if Jesus and God can do anything, why is the world so messed up? How many of you heard that before? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. Uh, have, you, have, have, have you thought this? If Jesus can do anything, why am I going through so much drama? Can I, can I get ahead? Have you ever thought that before? Yeah, okay. Guess what? Your premise is wrong. Premise means is what you believe and assume to make your assumption on. In other words, my assumption is God can do everything, therefore, this shouldn't happen. God can't do everything. Your premise is wrong. He can't lie. He can't deny his own word. He can't break a promise. He can't not be holy. You have another premise that if he's holy, I should experience no pain. Your premise is wrong. God is not in the business of keeping you happy. He's in the business of purifying your soul. We live in a fallen world. Stuff happens. We do stuff. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death, pain, relationships die, opportunities die, our joy dies. But here's the truth. God can get you through. And if he made a promise to you to never leave you or forsake you, no matter what the devil says, he will never leave you or forsake you. If he made a promise to forgive you of your sin, no matter what the devil says, he will forgive you of your sin. If he made a promise to give you all the blessings in the heavenly places, no matter what the devil says, that God, Jesus is going to do that very thing. If he said he's going to rise from the dead, and he did, because he cannot lie, everything else he said he will do, he will do. Everything else he said he is doing, he is doing. 
And so if that's true, it's worthy of everything you have to say, Lord, I want to immerse my entire life in you. I'm not going to give myself to you, take away. Give myself to you, take away. Because you rose from the dead, you deserve everything. It's so amazing how we give our heart to flawed people. But yet we won't give our heart to a perfect Jesus. Number two, number two in your notes. We know that he rose from the dead because the empty tomb was reported by women, not men. (laughs) All the ladies say, hey. Okay, let me explain. (laughs) First, the empty tomb. There was a group of men, Sanhedrin, there were 70 of them, plus the president, so 71 men. They were ahead of all the judicial issues for the Jewish people. They were scribes, priests, elders. One of them, and, and by the way, they're the ones who voted to condemn Jesus to death. One of them was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea voted against the, uh, crucifying Jesus. And when Jesus died, he donated his tomb for Jesus to be buried. Why is that critical? Because he was not an unknown person and his tomb was not in an unknown location. Matter of fact, Pilate who understood where the tomb was, everybody knew where it was, they put a stone in front of the tomb and they sealed it shut with Pilate's signature stamp in it, never to break that seal. And then he put soldiers, their special forces, in front of the tomb to protect anyone from stealing the body because if the body, if he rose from the dead or they claimed he rose from the dead, people would be emboldened to believe in Christ because no one could rise from the dead. And so they were scared that he would somehow disappear. So they put this giant rock in front of the tomb. They sealed it shut. And then they put soldiers to guard a dead person. And all of a sudden... The dead person's gone. The soldiers are laying on the ground and the stones moved away. What had happened was an angel came. But then they chose women to tell the story first. Why is that significant? Now, I'm going to give you some of the reasons that it's significant, but I must um, put a disclaimer. These reasons do not reflect the views of the Rock Church. Or any representative thereof, staff, volunteers, or perpetrators. And what I mean by that is I'm going to explain to you how they viewed women back then. I'm going to say this five times because I don't want any of you to think these views represent my views or the views of any representative of the Rock Church or our nonprofit 51C3 Church Corps organization. Are you feeling what I'm saying? So what I'm going to explain to you about the views of the women back then, not the views of women today in the Rock Church or myself, I'm going to read to you these views of how they viewed women back then, which is the significance of why they had women tell the story because of these views that they had back then. These are not the views of the Rock Church or any pastor on staff or anybody. Right, right, right. How many of you believe we're going to get an email of somebody saying something anyway? Can I get an amen? <laughs> we're not going to respond to it. <laughs> the views of women back then, they were responsible for all sin. Eve, not Adam and Eve. The views were that women were an example of weakness. That's what they believed back then. The view back then was that women were good wives or problems back then. The views back then is that better is the wickedness of a man than the goodness of a woman back then. Back then, they believed that a woman, it is a woman who brings shame and disgrace, not a man. One of the Jewish prayers, this one I happened to happen to say one time, 
actually more than once, but it was about one incident. It says, I thank you that I am not a woman. The reason I said that one day is my wife was in labor for 49 hours. She was in labor 24, uh, 12 hours our first child, 24 hours our second child, and with our son, uh, she was in labor 49 hours. And I was, thank, I was like, I was just kind of praying with her, you know, and she was screaming, saying some things she shouldn't have been saying, and, 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 and I just went over and said, Lord, please bless my wife, but thank you that I don't have to go through labor. I think that women pound for pound are tougher than men in certain things, especially in labor. So thank you. Can we give the ladies a hand? God bless y'all. God bless y'all. When, if men had to have babies, there'd be no babies. We'd just be like, nah, I ain't gonna have, I'm sorry, I ain't gonna have no babies. When my wife would go away, when my kids were little, my wife went like 10 years without combing her hair. She just had to take care of three kids and it was like just jacked up all day and night. And she would leave. She was like, I'm out of here. She would just leave. And my kids would be like, we're going to die. <laughs> so what's the point? The point is this. If women were so bad and their testimony was not admissible in court back then, why would the Bible say that women were the first to see the risen Savior? Because it was true. That's why. Why would you put the news in the most untrustworthy voice at that time if it wasn't true. The most important news in the most untrustworthy voice at that time, why would you put that news in their mouth if it wasn't true? The Bible says stuff that's true. David was a man after God's heart, yet he committed adultery and murder. How do you figure that out? It was true. Moses, the most humble man on the, on the planet, killed an Egyptian. It's true. The Bible just says what happened. And what does that tell us? That God uses flawed people who are committed to him. Flawed people. He can use you and me. Look what it says in Mark chapter 16. The Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they may come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. Don't be scared. Stop tripping, depending on what translation you have. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. Everyone say he is risen. He is not here. Say he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Everyone say and Peter. You know it's a trip. Peter denied Jesus three times and the angel said, hey, uh, ladies, make sure you send a special note to Peter. Because he's probably really discouraged right now that he cursed, that he didn't know Jesus, even when Jesus was suffering the most. Tell him Jesus still loves him. I don't know what you did. God loves you. He ain't mad at you. He got mad love for you. It says, tell him that he is going to, before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he said. Everybody say, just as he said. 
Number three, eyewitness testimony affirmed the resurrection. Eyewitness testimony. John verse chapter 21. John chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 21 verse 13. Jesus came to them and took bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he walked around 40 days. 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Whenever something happens for 40 days, God has figured the time was adequate for a clear decision to be made or judgment to be executed. When he was going to judge the earth, he had it rain 40 days and 40 nights. And then Noah built, and right after Noah built the ark. Matter of fact, Noah built the ark 120 years. It took three 40-year periods. Moses lived three 40-year periods, 40 years with Pharaoh, 40 years in the wilderness as a, as a shepherd, and 40 years leading Israel. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The Jews spied out the promised land to see if it was what God said for 40 days. Then because they rejected what they saw, God made them walk in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every day, they got evidence the promised land was exactly what God said. Goliath talked trash for 40 days before David whooped him. If you're a woman, you're going to be pregnant 40 weeks. And then the baby comes. After 40 days in the womb, the baby has brain waves. 40, 40, 40, 40 is the number of testing. Jesus says, I'm going to walk around 40 days. I'm going to let people see me, touch me, eat with me. Doubting Thomas touched the nail prints in his hand and the spear print in his side. He ate with, he, saw, he was with 500 people at one time. He said, can y'all see me? You can hear my voice. Go tell everybody you know that I'm alive. He was with his disciples three different times. And so people knew by firsthand experience. It wasn't like two ladies said, hey, I saw him, and no one else did, and he's gone. He said, no, go meet him. He wants you to see for yourself. Eyewitness testimony. Why is this important? Because this is true. This is not religion. This is not game. This is true. He really is alive. And by the way, he is most alive to you, not when you have information in your head. It's when he lives in your life, and he changes your life. And if your life is not changing, then it's not his fault. Because he's a life changer. And so he wants to be in your life and be real in your life. He doesn't want it to be religion. Go to this, go do that, go do that. He wants to walk with you and transform you. Don't, don't miss that. Don't walk through life doing your thing. Do his thing. There are so many people who are going to die. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. They're going to stand before him and say, Lord, I knew you. I preached in your name. I healed in your name. I did wonders in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I don't even know who you are. I don't know who you are. He goes, what are you talking about? I was a pastor. When it says, I appreciate your name, I'm putting pastor in there. I'm not talking about regular congregant. This is, this is someone who devoted life. He's going to say, I, knew, I didn't know who you are because you did it for the, for the wrong motivation. How much more is that going to be on you? That you can slide around and do your thing and he's going to go, oh, you're good. No, he's, I, I, I don't want to have that relationship. I didn't die on the cross for that. He wants everything. And number four, Holy Spirit power and boldness was given as promised. This is marching in excitement. He said, 
I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead, then I'm going to go to heaven. And when I go to heaven, after I leave, not before, but after I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to give you power. And you're going to do what I did, and even greater works. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power. Everyone say power. But say power, powerful. Say power. You shall receive power and be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, San Diego, California, United States, and around the world. I'm giving you that power, not for you only, to flow through you. And when it flows through you, it's going to purify you and change you, but then it's going to impact somebody else. And I, Jesus, will get the credit you won't. It's not about you. Power. Boldness. I'm going to church. I don't know what church you're talking about. Oh, I'm just going to praise Jesus. I don't know what Jesus you're talking about. We have prayer meeting every Saturday. Where y'all at? Y'all got problems. Can I get amen? You ain't going to solve it watching ESPN. You ain't going to solve it making pancakes. You can make the pancakes before and after. Come get power. We got people healed. We get people healed, saved every Saturday. In all the campuses, one hour, 60 minutes. You got life group, we got small groups in the church, we got life class. It's not a club, it's not a country club. He wants you to give you power. Look what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. If you're in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats, grant to your servants that with all boldness they speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through your name, your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word with boldness. Say boldness. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes on your life, a lot of things happen, but the main thing that happens is you get filled with the love of God and the boldness to preach God. You... To a lot of people, are the only Bible, or at least the first Bible they will ever read, is your life. Say you're a Christian? Okay, let's see. And they'll just watch you, they'll listen to you. Oh, they just gossip just like everybody else. They ain't no different. They curse just like everybody else. No different. They sleep around, get drunk, watch pornography just like everybody else. No different. And that breaks God's heart. But if you walk with God and the Holy Spirit empowers you to give you boldness of God, to speak God's word with his gentleness and humility and his power, not your power, supernatural power, that's what he wants. That when you're in Starbucks, you're at school, you're at work, your assignment as a kingdom of God ambassador is to execute and express that power that you can go up to somebody at your job and say, hey, I sense that you're hurting. Can I pray for you? Yes. When I go to the mall, I'm like looking. Okay, who you got? <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't really hate the mall, but, you know, when I'm shopping, especially with other people, I can't, I can't, I can't flow. I, I, I just got, I'm too, you know, my wife's shopping. She's looking. I'm looking around like this. She's like, you like this? Yeah, okay, I'm looking around. Cause I, it's, just, it's not my thing, but I'm looking for people. I'm looking for, okay, God, what you want to do? What you want to do? What you want to do? And if you say hi to me in the mall, something's going to go down. Something's going down. I don't know what it is, but it's gonna, it's gonna, God's going to tell in a moment. Y'all have that. It is not these rote religious steps. It's a powerful relationship. 
And Easter, we're reminded, but every Sunday that we come together, one of the evidences that he rose from the dead, by the way, is that we have church on Sunday because before that, they had it on Saturday. And they said, wait a minute, he, he rose on Sunday. We got to go on Sunday. That's the reason we're here. But it's not just to remember, it's to reignite the passion and the commitment we have. Next week, we're going to be here. Come, come on time. Next week, we're going to have several people here who have been violated. They're going to tell their story. We're going to continue our relationship goal series. I know a lot of y'all have been hurt. God wants to heal you. You hear some incredible stories of pain and peace. Why? Because God changes lives. In a minute, we're going to pray. There's two groups of y'all out there. There's some of you who have never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never confessed that you are a sinner. You've never asked Christ to forgive you of your sin and fill you with the spirit of God. We're going to give you that opportunity. Then there's some of you out there, you did that, but you're giving Jesus two days and everything else five days. It's kind of like, well, you know, I got my own thing going. It's not a multiple choice. He wants everything. And it's your time to say, you know what, I need to, Step up my game, to say it lightly. I'm going to say one prayer for both of y'all, groups of people. But let this Easter be a transformation in your life, an opportunity to say, Lord, you are worthy of everything in my life. Because if you're alive... I'm praying to a God who's listening. If your God is not listening and you're praying, you're insane. You're talking to no one. If your God is dead, you're pursuing a God who is dead. And if you're pursuing a God who is dead and you're trying to be like a God who is dead, you're going to be dead. But our God is alive. And he's powerful. And he's listening. He wants to transform your life. Amen. So I'm going to ask everybody in all the campuses, in all the overflow tents all around San Diego, close your eyes, bow your head, and listen very carefully. God loves every single one of you. He has an incredible plan for your life. But he won't do it your way. Holy Spirit, I pray you speak to people. I pray for supernatural transformation. I pray we don't Opt out of the most powerful relationship we can ever have. Not only to heal our relationship with God, but heal our relationship with people. If you would like to surrender your life to Christ, whether it be first time or just get a fresh commitment, I want you to pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. Pray, dear God, I know you died and rose from the dead for my sin. I surrender my life to you. Fill me with the Spirit of God. I surrender Jesus. Be my Savior and my Lord. 